Hello and welcome back to Cinema at First Sight. Today it is currently episode 8 of season 3, which means this is the third last episode of 2021. What a year. What a horrible, horrible year that I feel like just won't end. But let's get away from this absolute pessimism and actually get into today's episode. If this is your first time tuning in, then the premise of this podcast is that I will review either the first half of a movie or the first episode of a TV show and make a judgment call about it based on as little information as possible. And we're back at it again today. And I am going to be taking on the first half of Wes Anderson's long-awaited new film, The French Dispatch, starring literally everyone on Earth. The cast is insane. So let's get into it. Let's dive in. First question, is this a rewatch or is this a first-time watch? It literally just came out. It is definitely a first-time watch. And now before we get into any proper analysis, I'm going to do my usual thing and go through some basic plot points just to catch you up on what's happened so far. This, to be honest, is a bit of a difficult one because this is more of a movie consisting of three vignettes, aka newspaper articles, rather than a linear plot, but I'll try my best. I'll stumble through it. The movie begins as we find out that the editor of the newspaper, The French Dispatch, Arthur Howitzer Jr., played by Wes Anderson favourite Bill Murray, dies suddenly of a heart attack. In his will, he very specifically stipulates that if he dies, so shall the newspaper. Take down your empire on your way out. I respect it. And this is where the premise of the movie is revealed. There will be one final farewell issue containing three articles from past editions that are being republished, followed by an obituary. So, as you can guess, this movie's literally going to be a quirky Wes Anderson visual depiction of those three articles in the form of vignettes. However, before we actually get into them, we strangely then get taken on a cycling tour of the fictional town of Ennui, where the whole film is set, by Owen Wilson, comparing the past to the present, a very random interjection that is quite short-lived. Now, finally, we get into the actual movie. We're introduced to article number one, entitled The Concrete Masterpiece, narrated slash written by a caftan-clad Tilda Swinton. It's all about Moses Rosenthaler, a mentally ill artist serving time in an ennui prison for a double homicide, who paints abstract nude art of correctional officer Simone, who he's somehow managed to seduce. Coincidentally, Julian Cadazio, aka Adrian Brody, is an art dealer also serving time for the much more wholesome crime of tax evasion who is struck by the quirky beauty of Moses' art and demands to buy it. As soon as he's released, he manages to convince art exhibitors to put it on display, and in the outside world, Moses kind of becomes a sensation. Three years later, Julian starts getting a bit pissed off that Moses has stopped churning out art, so to cater to the very high demand, literally forces him into creating a collection of masterpieces to show to the public. A bunch of art critics enter the prison hall to view this exhibition, and they discover that all of Moses' new art are actually frescoes, meaning they've been painted onto the physical prison wall and therefore cannot be sold or removed from this space. Really a power move. Julian and Moses start physically fighting, and then a prison riot breaks out. However, before anything goes too downhill, Moses actually starts defending the public from his fellow inmates because loyalty doesn't exist, and Julian begins to appreciate the frescoes rather than resent them. He then arranges for the entire room to be airlifted, and Moses is released on probation. End of vignette. 
Now we're into article number two called Revisions to a Manifesto, written and narrated by Lucinda Cremence, aka three-time Academy Award winner Frances McDormand, who at this point must seriously be one of Hollywood's hardest working women. Like, babes take a break. Nevertheless, she is reporting on a student protest that's broken out on the streets of Ennui, petitioning for, I don't know, more freedom, less government control, definitely something along those lines. One of the leaders of this chessboard revolution is Zeffirelli, aka Timothy Chalamet, who comes to Lucinda for help with his manifesto. Despite claiming that she wants to maintain, quote, journalistic neutrality, she ends up helping Zeffirelli in more ways than one. And by that I mean they hook up. Francis and Timothy, who would have called it? Honestly, I'm not mad. She also adds an appendix to his manifesto, much to the dismay of fellow student revolutionary protester Juliet, who's very much not a fan. Her and Zeffirelli heatedly argue over it, and if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure the two of them are vibing. However, I'm yet to get confirmation on this, because that is indeed the halfway point. What a random note to end on. So I guess now that that very clunky plot retelling is over, it's time to get into some actual questions. So first up, what are some of my favorite moments or moments that I consider to be most exciting or most pivotal? I mean, this isn't gonna come as a surprise, but one of my favorite things about the film is the aesthetic. Obviously, this is a Wes Anderson film. His whole shtick is meticulously crafted scenery and highly choreographed movement and scene changes and basically just the visual embodiment of stylized quirkiness, which I absolutely love. He's the king of aesthetic. He truly is. It is so, so well done in every single one of his movies, and this is no exception. I don't even want to think about the amount of time and effort that goes into storyboarding and meticulous shot arrangements. I'm exhausted already, but oh my god, does it pay off. It's visually flawless. Again, on the stylistic front, I think another thing that I really love about it is its quirky sense of humour. Another Wes Anderson staple. Even though he created what I would classify as highbrow cinema that's palatable to the masses, it always has a sense of humour and never takes itself too seriously, which is almost definitely why it has the potential for widespread appeal. However, it totally could take itself seriously. The film is made with the artistic and technical proficiency to be totally up itself, but it's not, thank God. The jokes range from clever and very cerebral to silly and almost slapstick, which is something that I really love. Because I don't want to see a movie where someone just unironically proves how talented they are for an hour and a half. This brings me to my next favourite thing, which is that to fit within this particular brand of humour, the acting is also quite heightened and eccentric, which is just a bit of fun. Everyone's performance is the literal definition of zany, and I'm really into it. Plus, everyone in the cast is really collectively committing to that choice, so the payoff is heightened by that unity. Which, of course, I'll touch on more later as we get further into my self-appointed questions. And then the last thing that I really like, I think, is the overall concept. I think the idea of creating this, like, love letter to journalism featuring three different stories united under the same magazine is really clever and really fun. There are also some cons to this choice, which I will bring up soon, but that doesn't detract from the fact that I think it's a really cool idea. However, in terms of a most pivotal moment, it's really hard to say because theoretically each separate vignette should have its own climactic high point. So I'm going to be annoying and take the easy way out and honestly just say I don't know. Sorry, listen to a podcast recorded by someone smarter. I don't know, what can I say? Now, moving on to some of my least favourite moments, or moments that I consider to be least exciting or least pivotal. 
I have to be honest, in general, this isn't my favorite Wes Anderson movie, but I'm still really enjoying it. I don't want to sound like every other basic white girl on planet Earth, but Wes Anderson is really good. He just is. It's a fact. And again, all of his movies have a sense of humor, which means that I can be very forgiving with it. But within this high quality category, this particular movie isn't at the very top. Mainly because, to me, it just feels a bit disjointed. I mean, it feels a bit disjointed because it literally is. It's an ensemble piece tenuously linked by the idea that each installment is a separate newspaper article under the umbrella of the same magazine, which, like I said before, really cool concept. However, I just don't think that thread is strong enough to connect these stories in a way which is linear enough to make a movie that I'm insanely invested in. It feels more like I'm watching an insanely well-made set of performance art skits. Which again, I'm enjoying, but just can't totally lose myself in. Just because I'm not given enough time to be immersed in each story. Which isn't necessarily a critique, but rather just like a personal preference. It's definitely a valid art form. Just not one I feel as personally invested in or emotionally connected to as a full-length feature that focuses on the same group of people throughout. For example, even if it pulled a love actually and focused on a bunch of different people in a bunch of different stories simultaneously and then slowly linked them together at the end, that would have been a way in for me investment-wise. However, because the links between the stories aren't as strong and each vignette is very clearly separated by separate titles, that immersion is kind of blocked. Though I am entirely sure this is deliberate, and not every movie is crafted in order to prompt intense emotional audience investment, so this is kind of like a pro-con. I'm clearly conflicted, which is perhaps the point. I think I'm getting too meta. Moving on. This next part of the question is easy, least pivotal moment. I think so far it's probably the cycling tour led by Owen Wilson comparing Ennui of the Past to Ennui of the Present. There were a few laughs in there for sure, but it was a bit random and didn't really contribute much to the overall plot. Especially for me, where it was placed. Honestly, if it had been slotted in to break up the first and second article, I might have enjoyed it more because I would have already been introduced to the town of Ennui. But including it before we even really know what the movie's going to be about was probably another reason I wasn't able to get into the movie immediately. But let's stop being negative for a bit. Let's move on. The next question that I always lay out for myself, it's been a stock standard category in all of these podcasts, is favourite characters. If I'm being honest... I do have a bunch of favourite actors, but not really any favourite characters. Some of my favourite performances so far are obviously Tilda and Francis, but I also just want to give a special shout out to Henry Winkler and Bob Balaban, who play Adrian Brody's art exhibitors. They really don't need my validation, but they absolutely have it. They're so funny. Plus, obviously I love a little bit of Timmy T. However, favourite characters? Uh, none? Again, I don't want to harp on the same point over and over again, but I'm going to. This is my podcast, suck it up. This is definitely because it's a series of predominantly plot-driven vignettes. I can't immerse myself in the journey of any one specific character or track their changes and developments because I'm mainly focused on the story that's unfolding. Like, it's an article. Articles are written about stories and events, not complex and interesting characters. So yeah, in that same vein, least favourite characters? I don't think I have any. Like, again, there's a lack of proper investment, and I just don't feel connected enough to anyone to hate them. So moving on to storylines I think will be expanded upon, or should be expanded upon, or what I want to see more or less of. Again, I feel like the questions I normally lay out for myself just aren't aligning with this movie, because what's to come is another installment I have no context of. I guess in terms of what I want to know more about in the second half of Article 2, 
is what happens with the manifesto like what will be included will timothy and that random girl juliet be able to put aside their differences considering they're fighting for the same cause but also i really don't care that much and then i guess in terms of predictions for the end of that vignette if i had to guess i'd say that timothy and juliet hook up i'm sensing some tension some heat i can feel a passionate romance brewing though again am i invested can I not wait to see their relationship unfold and become more complicated? No, not really. But if it does, I called it. And then in terms of what I want more of, even though I said I do like the connection between the three vignettes being that they're all stories from the same magazine, I would just love if there was more connection and if those links were less tenuous. I'd like some recurring characters maybe that track throughout each story or are connected in some way to each other. Like, maybe Zeffirelli's dad is Moses. I don't know. Just a suggestion. Like I said, I want a Tangled Love Actually style web. Though I totally know what they're going for. But just for the sake of my take a shot every time I say investment, investment in the film, I want to know more about everyone and have them all be affiliated with one another in some way. I just love a clever link. But I respect the fact that that's not what Wes wants to make, and who am I to have an opinion considering I've produced nothing? Now, the next category I always lay out is most problematic moments. However, I do always have in brackets if applicable because I don't want to force any political incorrectness onto a film that doesn't have any. And I think in this movie, there aren't any problematic moments really. I guess Francis McDormand's character sleeping with Timothy Chalamet could potentially be viewed by some people as vaguely problematic, but also it's supposed to be completely random and a bit funny, and Timothy's character is definitely a university student and not a high school student, so everything's legal. Plus, you literally never see it happen. It's just insinuated and talked about, so in my books that's completely fine, and I think that it should be fine in yours also. I'll get off my soapbox. Now moving on to what category of viewing is it? The three categories that I have are trash, meaning that it is horribly made and terribly written and I'm not enjoying it remotely. Treasure, meaning that it is wonderfully crafted by a group of people at the top of their field. Or guilty pleasure, meaning it's kind of a bit trashy, it's not well made, but I'm into it and therefore feel bad about the fact that I am into it. I think you can guess. It's, it is treasure for sure. While it's not one of my favorite Wes Anderson movies, every Wes Anderson movie is going to be a treasure. He is a master of aesthetic, a master of quirky comedy. He knows exactly what he's doing. I trust him implicitly. And I know that he wouldn't lead me astray. So this is definitely a well-made highbrow film, but highbrow in an approachable way. So now viewing style, who would I watch it with, where would I watch it, and who would I not watch it with, aka the least and most ideal viewing circumstances. I think the most ideal viewing circumstance for this movie, and yeah, just for like every Wes Anderson movie in general, is at the movies. I want to see that expertly crafted aesthetic on the big screen. And definitely I would see it with someone who appreciates an artsy time. While his movies do all have a sense of humour, it's not necessarily the sense of humour that appeals to everybody. Like, a lot of the jokes require you to think about them, and may not necessarily elicit hysterical laughter, but be witty, and jokes that track throughout. Which I really like. Jokes that challenge you, you know? And that when you get them, you feel really good about yourself, and you pat yourself on the back because you're smart. So, like, I probably wouldn't take a ten-year-old to go and see this and expect them to have a good time. So I guess pick your viewing partner carefully. Also, not someone who's going to talk throughout it, because I feel like a Wes Anderson movie, like I said, is kind of like an art piece. You just need to sit there, watch it, take it in, and analyze it afterwards. Which is what I'm doing right now. 
So now, the penultimate question. Will I keep going with the rest of the movie? Yeah, for sure. I'm really enjoying it. Even just for the experience of viewing it. It is beautiful and stunning. The talent's insane. It's literally perfectly crafted. Plus, it's really fun and a joy to watch. And while I'm not that invested in what's happened, I'm very happily going along for the ride. So yeah, while it's not necessarily a film that I think is going to stick with me for ages, it's providing me with fleeting enjoyment and entertainment, which I always very much appreciate. I reiterate, especially when it looks like this. So, final question, my overall rating out of 5, I'm going to say a 3.5 slash 4. Which, honestly, I'm not fully committed to. I don't know, it is really good and I'm really enjoying it and it looks very, very pretty. But I know that it's not going to be one of my all-time favourite movies. It's just not going to be up there. Grand Budapest Hotel, that's a different story. But this, it's more just a beautifully crafted piece of art that I appreciate. But it's one that I definitely recommend you check out. Go see it while it's in cinemas. If you miss out, then you're like, yeah, I'm watching a one, two, three movies. It's still going to look good because how could it not? But I would recommend an HD viewing experience for sure. And I think that's as much as I can milk out of this movie. That's all I've got for you. Hopefully you enjoyed my review and vaguely agree with my opinions or vehemently disagree with them. That's a bit of fun, causes a bit of conflict, starts a little fire. And I will talk to you next week when I review the pilot of a TV show that I most likely have not watched yet because I'm a lazy. And I'll talk to you then. Bye!